My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And I'm so glad that you're joining me, whether that be YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, listening on a podcast, wherever. Thank you and so glad that you are doing this with me. Today, we're continuing our journey through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. And we are looking at chapter 12 today, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14 of Matthew chapter 12. And this is where the religious leaders really ramp up and continue their rejection of Jesus uh, in, in, in a scale to really let people know that they, they're just not happy about anything that he's doing. And so we start off with verse 1 in Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. How dare he? And his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, look what your disciples are doing. It's not lawful for one to do on the Sabbath. Now, (laughs) there was nothing wrong with what they did. What the Pharisees had a problem with was when they were doing it. Uh, gleaning uh, was not considered stealing when it came to harvest of grain. Uh, Deuteronomy 23 was part of the law. Uh, the issue was which day they were actually doing it on. And the rabbis had made all these elaborate lists of do's and don'ts, what you can and can't do, about the Sabbath. They, it was their rules. Uh, it was not in God's original law. And what the disciples were doing here at the beginning of Matthew 12 was in contrary uh Um, understanding of the rabbinical law. Spurgeon said this, We incidentally learn from this story that our Lord and his disciples were poor and that he who fed the multitudes did not use his miraculous power to feed his own followers, but left them till they did what poor men are forced to do to supply a little stay for their stomachs. Now, the law of Israel, as I mentioned, actually allowed people who were traveling through an area to glean grain uh, for a small vi- uh, small meal from fields in the area. Deuteronomy 23 is where you can read about that. And farmers were actually commanded to make sure that they didn't completely harvest their crops. Uh, there was always a little left behind for you know travelers and the poor. And that was something that was just part of God's design. And Matthew has, remember in the previous chapter, just quoted about how following Jesus means that you have a, an easy yoke, you've got a lighter burden. Now he's actually showing us a little bit about the heavier burdens and the harder yokes that religious leaders will put on you compared to Jesus. And when the disciples just begin to do something so simple as pluck a head of grain that would have been fine any other day of the week, but they did it on the wrong day, they actually broke four different rules as far as the Pharisees were concerned. They they were reaping, they were threshing, they were winnowing, and they were preparing food. Uh, So that's four violations. Now, When you think about this time, the Jewish rabbis had really instituted a lot of uh, Sabbath laws that needed to be observed. Uh, For example, let me just read to you some of the things you could and couldn't do. Okay, Uh, The ancient rabbis taught on the Sabbath that 
a man could not carry something in his right hand or in his left hand across his chest or on his shoulder, but he could carry something with the back of his hand, with his foot, his elbow, uh, on in the ear or on the hair, in the hem of his shirt or in his shoe or his sandal. And on the Sabbath, you were actually forbidden from tying a knot. But a woman could tie a knot in her undergarment. So if a bucket of water needed to be raised from a well on the Sabbath, you couldn't tie a rope to the bucket, but what you could do is a woman could tie her undergarment to the bucket and then tie it to the rope. Yeah. Adam Clark said this, The Jews were so superstitious concerning the, ex- the observance of the Sabbath that in their wars with Antiochus Epiphanes and the Romans, they thought it a crime even to attempt to defend themselves on the Sabbath. When their enemies observed this, they deferred their operations to that day. Of course they did. It was through this that Pompey was able and enabled to take Jerusalem. So they say to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus actually never violated any of God's commands about the Sabbath, and nor did he approve of his disciples violating God's Sabbath commands. But he very well may have made a great intention of purposely violating men's legalistic additions to God's law. Uh, Spurgeon said this, The Pharisees here seem hard at work supervising and accusing the disciples. How ironic. This was a greater violation of the Sabbath itself. Did they not break the Sabbath by setting watch over them? Uh, A great point. Okay, let's move on to verse 3. But Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? You can see what Jesus is getting at here. Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. And then he quotes, uh, and I'll go through what the quote is from in a second. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When he said, have you not read about David? The first principle Jesus was presenting here is very simple and it's illustrated by David's experience with the priests uh, and the showbread in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And Jesus reminded them that the human need is more important than observing ceremonial rituals. And the incident with David was actually a very valid defense because it was a case of eating. It probably happened on the Sabbath in 1 Samuel 21 verse 6. And it concerned not only David, but also his followers. Uh, So very similar situation to what Jesus found himself in. The context of David taking the bread in 1 Samuel 21 showed that it was justified for him to do it. And this is the point Jesus was making. Then Jesus goes on and says, well, have you not read that it's okay for the priests in the temple to profane the Sabbath and then they're blameless? Because this is the second principle that Jesus is teaching them about and he's refuting their, their, their charge against him. The priests in the temple break the Sabbath all the time. Uh, perhaps the Pharisees didn't understand as much about the Sabbath observance as they thought they did. William Barclay said this, the temple ritual always involved work, the one thing they weren't meant to be doing. They had to kindle fires, slaughter in preparation of animals, the lifting of them onto the altar, uh, all these other things. This work was actually doubled on the Sabbath. Uh, 
and on the Sabbath, the offerings were doubled. The reference to this passage uh, here from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the Pharisees' lack of understanding of this principle was a way that Jesus was questioning the confidence that they had in their own man-made traditions. He was pointing them back to the word of God to get them to think, you know this thing you just said, you know that's not in the Bible, right? You know, you just made that up, you know. Um, and they used the religious traditions to justify the principles like sacrifice above mercy, which was contrary to what God said in his word. God said he would do the complete opposite. Matthew Poole, where two laws in respect of some circumstance seem to clash with one another, so as we cannot obey both, our obedience is due to that which is the more excellent law. What's the more excellent law? The one that glorifies God and is in the Bible. And this is what Jesus was talking about. And then Jesus says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The third principle that Jesus was talking about here was the most dramatic, based on Jesus and who he actually is. He's greater than the temple, even as much as they honored and valued the temple. Uh, he, even more so, he's Lord of even the Sabbath itself, that very sacred day. Uh, it's a very direct claim to deity that Jesus is making here. Jesus said that he had the authority uh, to know if his disciples broke the Sabbath law. He did because he's Lord of the Sabbath. So he's saying, you don't get to do that, I do. Now, when Jesus said, I'm indeed greater than the temple, you have to remember and consider how highly the temple was regarded in the days of Jesus. That was an incredibly shocking statement. But the temple as it stood in Jesus' day wasn't complete. It wasn't, it wasn't the temple that had been constructed 500 years before. It didn't have everything in it that made it the temple. Uh, there were certain things that were missing. Didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. Didn't have that sitting on the mercy seat. Uh, there were so many other things. It didn't have the Shekinah light, the, the, the Shina glory light didn't have the Urim and the Thurim, uh, which were parts of the breastplate that the, the, the priest, the high priest would wear. Uh, it didn't have the sacred fire from heaven. But Jesus is all these things to us. This is what Jesus was saying. Um, David Guzik says this, Since Jesus is greater than the temple, we should regard him as so. The temple was admired with love and wonder, and we should admire Jesus even more. The temple was joyfully visited and we should come to Jesus with even more joy. The temple was honored as a holy place and we should honor Jesus even more so. The temple was a place of sacrifice and service and we should do even more for Jesus. And the temple was a place for worship and we should worship Jesus even more. Okay, let's move on to verse 9. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogues. Or into their synagogue, I should say. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. And then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand, and it was restored as whole as the, other, as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against Jesus how they might destroy him. What an incredible reaction to him 
actually healing somebody. Now, he went into their synagogue. A general theme through this whole section of Matthew is this rising opposition against Jesus. And sometimes this opposition is expressed against him directly, and sometimes it's on uh, through attacks on his disciples. But we see that Jesus, as a faithful Jewish man, continued to go to the synagogue normally. Jesus was a faithful, church-attending, church-going man, even when he had reason not to be. What a great example for us. Don't ever stop going to church. This is the example Jesus set for us. Spurgeon said, Jesus set the example of attending public worship. The synagogues had no divine appointment to authorize them, but in the nature of things, it must be right and good to meet for the worship of God on his own day. Therefore, Jesus was there. He had nothing to learn, yet he went up to the assembly on the day which the Lord God had hallowed. Now, we've got this man with a withered hand. At at the very best, the religious leaders saw this man with a withered hand as, as an interesting test case. They weren't interested in him personally at all. It's more likely that they saw him as bait for Jesus to do something wrong on the Sabbath. And Jesus, however, looked at this man through his normal eyes, Jesus' normal eyes, which were eyes of compassion. And these accusers knew that that was, if you want, that was a weakness of Jesus. Well, he he has compassion. He's going to see this guy and want to heal him. Uh, which in a way, I guess, makes them as critics of Jesus have or be in possession of more faith than some Christians because they, they just assumed that he would see the man with a withered hand and heal him. Well, I wish we would do that. <laughs> Uh, We sometimes seem to doubt that Jesus actually wants to really miraculously or heal anybody. And they said, so is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus exposed actually their true hypocrisy by showing their greater concern for their own possessions than for the opportunity to heal a man in need. Uh, Arguing persuasively that it it can't be wrong to do good on on the Sabbath. So then what does Jesus do? He compassionately heals this man. Now, this is interesting. This man was not in imminent danger of death. He just had a withered hand. Okay, there was, Jesus could have done the uh, what he did for this man and healed him 24 hours later and probably wouldn't have changed anything in the man's life. It wasn't a life and death situation. But when Jesus commanded this man to stretch out his hand, he commanded him to do something that was impossible in his current condition. And as far as Jesus was concerned, there was no need to wait a day to do that. Jesus gave the command for the man to stretch out his hand, but also the ability for his hand to be stretched out at exactly the same time. As the man put in in the effort, so the healing came. He wasn't healed in his hand and then he opened his hand. It happened exactly the same time. Uh, A.B. Bruce, he stretched out his restored hand, assuming that not till restored could the hand be stretched out. But the healing and the outstretching happened at exactly the same time. So the Pharisees see see this. They don't get excited that Jesus just healed this poor man with withered hand. They go and plot against him how they can destroy him. That's their response to Jesus' display of compassion and power and the wisdom is, is in the hardness of their hearts, we have to destroy him. There was no reverent worship. There was no submission just a hardened, murderous rejection of Jesus. And it's a very significant development in the opposition against Jesus from the religious leaders. This is the timing 
of Jesus' ministry and his life. Now, Luke chapter 6, verse 11 says that the critics of Jesus at this time in this incident were filled with rage when Jesus healed this man. Because they were struggling with which is a greater violation of the Sabbath, when Jesus healed a man or when these hate-filled men plotted the murder of a godly man who never sinned against anybody. This is the conundrum of what all happened on the Sabbath. You've got Jesus healing a man with compassion and you've got these other men seeing him and they're supposedly religious and now they're plotting to murder Jesus because Jesus compassionately healed a man on the wrong day. And so this is, this is where we end up today. We end up understanding and we observe that rejection that Jesus suffered is just like the rejection we suffer today. Uh, when people first reject you, it's because they're finding faults in what you're doing. They don't like what you believe. They don't, well, they don't like what you stand for. People say to you, you don't believe that part of the Bible, do you? Uh, then when they can't stop you after that initial rejection, then they just want you to be dead. They have no problem just wishing you weren't here anymore. This world would be a better place without people like you. Um, I'd rather be rejected for preaching the love of Jesus and seeing Jesus do miracles in people's lives than not do that because I was scared that somebody might kill me. Because as the Apostle Paul said, for me to live, it's Christ. To die is gain. In other words, I win either way. If I'm living, I'm working for Christ. If I die, I'm with him for eternity. I can't lose. But I think that's a position that Jesus came to this earth with, whereas we need to grow into it. And I don't think many Christians actually even really get there. And uh, But I think of the thousands and tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands, I don't know what the number is, of martyrs, of people who have died for for not denying Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years. And then I look at people who will deny Jesus now for something so very, very simple. We've got to toughen up. We've got to toughen up because we're going to be rejected. The gospel is going to be rejected, but it's also going to be accepted. And when it's accepted, the result is multiplication. Multiplication in your life and multiplication in the lives of people who accept the gospel. So that's why we keep continuing to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great example of Jesus, not getting caught up in legalism of whether it's right to heal somebody on the wrong day or the right day, but understanding that Jesus, you are greater than than anything. You're the Lord of the Sabbath. You're the Lord who heals. You're the Lord who brings compassion. And so we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would toughen up. And when we suffer rejection, that we'd understand that you have walked in our footsteps. You know what it feels like. And that you've given us the power to walk those steps. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.